The start of the 2 o'clock hour on Wesson Walker at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The Panthers just hired Ajero Avero as their new defensive coordinator. And who better to speak all about it than Nick Kosmider, the Denver Broncos beat writer of The Athletic. Follow him on tw- uh, on Twitter at Nick Kosmider. He's on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Nick, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be with you guys. Absolutely, Nick. We really appreciate it. And... As we hire Avero here in Carolina, how would you describe him to people that are just trying to get a little bit more familiar with him? Yeah, I mean, he's had a pretty quick rise um, over the last few years, and it's certainly become a name over the last season um, that people are kind of just starting to hear about. But the interesting thing about Ejero is he has worked for some of the brightest defensive minds uh, in the NFL over the course of his career. He started as a graduate assistant or a uh, an operations-level assistant in Tampa Bay, where John Gruden was the head coach and Monty Kiffin was the defensive coordinator. He's worked under Vic Fangio, Dom Capers, Wade Phillips, Raheem Morris. So this is a guy who has has a really good tree of, of mentors and has kind of pulled pieces from, from each and every one of them. So his experience is a big part of it. The other thing is, uh, with Ejero, he's, he's a very direct communicator. Um, I, I think players really appreciate the way in which he um, you know, conveys messages both related to scheme, adjustments, uh, and, and things like that. There was a number of, of talented Broncos defensive players who had their best seasons in 2022 um, during Jero's uh, first season as the defensive coordinator there. So he was widely respected around here for, for the work that he did. Uh, in just one season as a defensive coordinator. Well, and Nick, I mean, look, it did not go the way anybody thought the Denver Broncos season was going to. I had high expectations for that team, and it just didn't play out that way. But that was really all because of the offense. I mean, when you're talking about one of the brighter spots, it was that defensive side of the football. How was it received in Broncos country when they found out Ajero was leaving? Yeah, you know, whenever you hire a a coach like Sean Payton, I think you're going to, you, you sort of take whatever comes with that, right? The, the Broncos' biggest problem, and you alluded to it, is that they have not created anything close to functional on offense since Peyton Manning retired after the 2015 season. They've been among the, um, the league's bottom teams in, in terms of scoring, yards per game, um, whatever efficiency metric you want to use. Uh, they have just struggled offensively um, to a large degree, and that's kept them from being competitive, particularly in an AFC West where everybody else um, is scoring points. And so – in um, Sean Payton, they think they have somebody that's finally going to give that offense an identity. And, and so, again, I, I think there was a lot of people who had hoped that Ejero Evero would stick around as defensive coordinator no matter who the coach became. Um, you know, but there were some extenuating circumstances last year. Nathaniel Hackett, who was the head coach, fired after only 15 games. Um, you know, was one of Evero's best friends. He, he, they, they, uh, they, you know, they attended, they were groomsmen in each other's weddings. They kind of came up in the league together. And so I think there was a, a loyalty piece of it there that he kind of, was eager to have a fresh start uh, and in Carolina should have the opportunity to hire some of his own staff and really put his fingerprint on, on the defense there. Nick Westbrook here. A lot has been made of coach Evero's schemes and how he likes those odd fronts and blitzing and doing, doing things like that. Who do you think looking at the Panthers personnel will like personnel will be uh, the pet, so to speak of this defense, the guy who could really thrive the most. Yeah, you know, I, I think that there, there's going to be a, a guys at every level who benefit from his, from his teaching. And I say that because I, I mentioned some guys having some of the best seasons of, your, of their careers. You know, that, whether that was defensive end Draymond Jones, um, whether that was um, both of the linebackers, Josie Jewell and, and Alex Singleton had career highs in tackles. Justin Simmons, an all-pro level safety. 
got his highest uh, interception total with six, and that was despite missing five games. Um, you know, co- uh, Pat Sertan, all-pro cornerback. So I think some of the talented guys that the Panthers have, and, and I will admit to not being um, super well-versed in their, in their personnel as, a, as an NFC opponent over there, but um, I, I just think that, you know, that they have a lot of young talent. I know um, saw a lot of those guys play really well in that game Denver had down there um, in November. And so I just think you're going to see guys uh, at all levels. He's going to use guys at essentially every position group to, to blitz the quarterback. There's going to be a lot of simulated pressure where, you know, you, you look like you have guys coming in, um, you know, from the outside, and then you drop a defensive end uh, back in coverage. So he loves to mix it up, loves to use different guys to, to get after the quarterback. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he's going to do with that group. And then talking about some of his work, we know uh, with the Rams in 2021, they tied for third in interceptions. They had 10 players record at least one interception. We know the work he's done with the secondary, as you just said, with Denver. What is it about his specialty being in the secondary? Does he coach the guys uh, up more on technique and the little subtle things, or is it because of the pressure that that defense brings? How is he able to make secondary so effective? Well, he'll say that the biggest thing that he wants as a defensive coach is to affect the quarterback in, in whatever way they can, and then everything else bleeds off of that. And, and some of the things with, with the Broncos, they, you know, they started to slip a little bit over the final five games of the year defensively because um, they just had virtually no pass rush personnel. Uh, they traded Bradley Chubb uh, at the trade deadline for a first-round pick that ultimately was used to uh, acquire Sean Payton. Um, but Randy Gregory, the big free agent acquisition that they had last March, um, you know, played in only five games or six games um, this year and just, just wasn't really able to be effective. And so they, they were really down that, that pass rush personnel. I think he's got, he's got that, an opportunity for that to be different. And that's where it really begins when, when they're able to, to create front four pressure. Um, but, but he's also not afraid, even with that too high safety look to blitz like I said, guys from different parts of that defensive formation. Um, and that, that leads to the chance for, for guys in the secondary uh, to make plays. And the Broncos um, did that this year to a, degree, uh, to, a bit, to a better degree than they had in recent years. Forcing turnovers had been, had been an issue. Um, as good as Denver's defense was under Vic Fangio, they just didn't get the ball out a lot. And this year with, with the Jero Evero, they kind of moved up to that middle of the pack in terms of takeaways. Um, and I think that was a large part of his influence. Talking Panthers, D.C. Ajero Avero with Nick Cosmiter of The Athletic joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Vic Fangio was also a highly sought-after defensive coordinator. He's had years of experience. He's been a great D.C. in this league for a while. And the Panthers were rumored, uh, rumoredly interested in Vic Fangio. Also someone you know a little bit about over there in Denver, Nick. I mean, how can you compare Fangio, somebody that, yes, of course, is more experienced, to what what Avero could bring to a Panthers team, whether it be the players and how they react to either one of those coaches. What is the difference and what is the similarity between those two? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the, the similarity just starts with sort of the basic outline um, of that defense with the mixed, ma- mixed, mixed, mixed matched front, um, the too high safety look and just sort of the general way that that defense kind of really steals itself uh, in the red zone, right? It's designed to be kind of this bend, don't break, don't give up big explosive plays, and then and then really create havoc in the red zone. That's something the Broncos did under Vic Fangio. It's something they did again um, last year, having a you know kind of a top ten red zone defense. Um, and, and for much of the year, they were they were you know within the top five. So 
Um, that that's schematically where you see some of the similarities. I think um, in terms of personality, coaching wise, that they're they're different. Um, you know, Evero is really big. One of the things that that I was able to glean from players early in the year um, is that he was really big on any time that, that they would go over film, and, and he found an area where he think he he missed a call where he could have called a better defensive. Um, you know, play in for for his for his guys on the field. Then he he owned that. He he held himself accountable. Um, you know, in film sessions and things like that. And I think players um, really helped them develop a pretty strong trust in him. You know, it was almost universal in the locker room uh, after the Broncos season ended in early January, talking to defensive players who who had really hoped that that he would that he would be back. Uh, that they really enjoyed playing for him. A lot of guys who have been in a similar defense for a while said that playing under Evero was the most fun that they had had within that scheme, um, gave guys a little bit more freedom. And as I mentioned, uh, it's more of an aggressive blitzer than is, than is Vic Fangio. Um, so, so those I think are some of the similarities and some of the differences, um, but um, certainly an interesting parallel. So Nick, the million dollar question though is with, Evero being such a, a hot candidate and so highly touted, how long can Panther fans really expect him to be here uh, for this franchise? And what makes him such a great candidate in your opinion? Yeah, you know, well, I think one of the things that I had heard of as he went around through the cycle, because to your point, he was requested for interviews um, by each of the five teams with, with openings, including here in Denver. He, he, was, um, he was the first uh, maybe the second. I think they interviewed Jim Harbaugh virtually the day after the season, and then and then Evero uh, interviewed with the search committee the next day, um, and, and then he, he proceeded to interview with the Texans, the Cardinals, uh, they're out there in Carolina and um, in Indianapolis as well. And I think one of the things that I came away from it was um, hearing from from people that around those teams is that they were impressed with the you know the plans that he had for his staffs. Right, he, he's been different places. He's worked under a lot of the game top defensive minds, as I said. So I think that has helped him kind of um, not only figure out ways to, to create defensive schemes, but um, see the other side of the ball, get a good understanding of how these varying offenses are trying to attack uh, his scheme. And, and so I think, I think there was uh, people who were impressed with his plans to put his staff together. Uh, and that's a big part of it to become a, to become a head coach. And then, as I mentioned, again, just a really clear communicator uh, in terms of what he wants, what he envisions. Um, he, he's a guy that you know what you're going to get from him, and I, and I think that tends to do well uh, in interviews. And the last thing I'll say on it is that you know the Broncos were a disaster this year. Like uh, that, that's pretty much all there is to it. They were five and twelve. It was a season that, uh, as you guys noted, started with significant expectations and then um, finished five and twelve with with just the worst offense in the league. And he was able to emerge from all that and, and still be a really sought after candidate. So again, I, I think if, if Carolina starts to improve. Um, in the same trend that they were going, finishing six and six in the second half of last year, um, he's going to continue to get, uh, I think, recognized as a guy that's going to get um, some some head coaching looks. And, and I don't expect that that um, will stop uh, anytime soon. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of uh, you know whether there's the right fit for him. Well, Denver loses Avero, but they get Sean Payton. And at the beginning of this process, we always knew that he was a part of it. But then it looked like D'Amico Ryan's was going to be the head coach, and then eventually that doesn't happen. Nick, how surprised are you that we're here with Sean Payton as Denver's head coach compared to the beginning of this process? Well, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not ultimately um, overly surprised. Um, you know, and I wrote this shortly after the search process began, was that um, for what Denver most needs to have fixed, and, and that is kind of an identity 
and an accountability on the offensive side of the football and a better chance for this quarterback with in Russell Wilson in whom they have invested a large amount, uh, both in terms of dollars and, and draft capital, um, they needed to get all of that going in the right direction um, in, in a major way. And so of all the candidates out there, Sean Payton was the clear top choice in that regard uh, because of his experience over 15 years um, you know, averaging 27 and a half points a game, you know, you don't do that by accident. You, even though, of course, he had Drew Brees for the entirety of his time in New Orleans, minus the 2021 season, um, he still had to adapt to, to varying personnel groups. He had, he had to adapt to, to changes in Brees's, um, you know, both his talent level and, and then and then experience and what that allowed him to do. So, um, I, I think for what they needed, um, and then you add in the fact that there were just you know discipline issues on this team among the most penalized. Um, you know, which, which uh, Sean Payton's teams in New Orleans were often the, the direct opposite. Um, all those things made it seem as though he was going to be the guy. And, and yesterday we learned that the, part, of the, part of the cloak and dagger part of it all um, and the reason that it took so long was just because of that, that draft compensation piece. They, they had landed on him about a week before um, it actually all, all came to fruition. But during that time, you know, they're, they're trying to get a pretty major trade done and kind of trying to talk through that and condense that down to the span of about a week. And so that, that's why it took a little bit longer. But uh, it, it did not surprise me that he was who they ultimately landed on. All right, Nick, uh, final question before we get you out of here. I did want to ask you about Sean Payton's comments, uh, I believe, yesterday when asked about Russell Wilson's personal coach. He said, quote, that's not going to take place here. Uh, I mean, how problematic could this get for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton with those comments about a personal coach? Well, here's what I'll say. I know, I know for a fact that, that, that Russell Wilson's camp was elated to find out that Sean Payton was the head coach. Um, he has, he has held Sean Payton in high esteem. Um, at, you know, a because Russell Wilson is his admires Drew Brees so much. That's his favorite quarterback in the league. They become friends. They live near each other uh, in Del Mar, California, in the off season. Um, and and so I, I think that that Russell Wilson is at a point in his career, and, and I think did some did some reflection at the end of the season, and understanding that he needs he needs help in a way that like maybe um, what he's been doing hasn't hasn't been giving him. And look, there, there's a lot of uh, elite quarterbacks that have their own personal coaches, trainers, mental coaches, ther- you know, therapists, whatever the case might be. Um, the difference in Denver was that when he came in last year, they they kind of gave that group I think a little bit too much of a free reign. Uh, in terms of being in the facility, and it, you know, unintentionally, I think, became a distraction, especially as as the team started to lose. But you know, to, to Russell Wilson's credit, that they he started to scale all that back in the second half of last year, um, as it is. But that's again, that that's sort of the, the 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 blunt way in which Sean Payton is going to set his expectations. He is the one in charge now. Last year, it, you know, it became this this partnership thing, you know, uh, with with coach and quarterback, and you just really can't have it that way. Um, and, and so I, I think um, he's just kind of setting down the line of like what it's going to look like. But, um, you know, Wilson has in his camp have, have expressed that they're very happy with this hire. But but now it's time to, to show it in terms of just completely buying into what he's selling and and, and making the most of it. Awesome stuff. Great breakdown of the defensive coordinator here with Carolina. That's Nick Cosmider on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Cosmider, the Denver Bronco beat writer for The Athletic. Nick, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good day. Good stuff there. 
players communicate well with Averro. Seems like there's a nice channel back and forth. Also, we kind of talked about the disguising of defensive packages for the opposition. Maybe we can dig in a little bit deeper there and give you a hodgepodge segment. Charlotte Hornets trade rumors, maybe some more ACC basketball convo. You're going to have to stick around to find out what we're going to be talking about next. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Here we go. Almost down the home stretch. We're coming around the corner. The base coach is waving us home, telling yep. us to slide in. You're back on the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 <laughs> WFNZ. Coming off the segment with Nick Kosmider. I butchered that, didn't Cosmider, I? I mean, Cosmider. That's, that's how Sorry I heard it pronounced. By the way, somebody did write in. Uh, 704 number wrote in. Walker, why are you trying to get fancy with the last name pronunciation? And I said... It's how Averro himself pronounces it. And so I know because a lot of people are trying to figure out how to pronounce it, right? Like you either look it up, you don't. It's, I mean, I called him Edro Evero at first, so it's going to be hard. But the way to do it is if you search his name on YouTube, there is an interview with him, like I think a part of the Denver Broncos website. And he says, hi, it's Ajero Averro. Yeah. And if you look it up on Google, it gives you pronunciation guides. So just want to be clear, Ajero Averro, that's correct from the man himself. What were your thoughts on some of the things we talked about? I think one of the biggest takeaways was just how he's almost held as one of those genius types that people like to talk about that I uh, so dislike. But they talked about how hmm. he's come up under the greatest defensive minds and how all of the knowledge that he's absorbed. And he has such a sterling reputation from all that he all the people that he has worked with. So what were your thoughts about some of the things he said and just kind of his pedigree? Yes, give me all of the genius talk as far as the X's and O's go because you're a play caller. And if you're going to be calling X's and O's and you're going to be calling plays, then I want you to have that genius tab as much as you can, even if you disagree with it or not. Cosmider had a glowing review. But you know what's more important to me is that the players had a glowing review. And that's what I take away first and foremost above anything. It's the fact that there was an open channel of communication between Avero and his players. It seemed like the players did want him to return. And that was something Cosmider mentioned also, that when Sean Payton came aboard, that they liked that. Russell Wilson's camp liked that. But that the defensive players wanted Avero to stay here. And a guy like Draymond Jones, I know Panther Pickle asked us to ask a question to Nick about him, but he's a free agent, had a nice year with Denver. Remember, too, this is a team that lost a number four overall pick in Bradley Chubb for a couple of first rounders, and they still performed that well defensively. They still are able to get the most out of a lot of the different talented pieces they have on that side. And well, so, yeah, because a lot of people think that Bradley Chubb's a bit overrated. And, and maybe the story. And, and maybe that's true, but he's still good. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's not. None of Miami fans have been ripping him. Well, and that's fine. But <laughs> I, I do think in Denver he put up some decent numbers. But you're right, not great. Yeah. I mean, perhaps you thought they should. I love, been. I'm a big Chubb fan as far as. Uh, just the guy. Point being, you lose him, and you still have a good side the of the ball. That we got in the back. I didn't even hear. Did you say something? You said he's laughing when I said I'm a big Chubb fan. Oh man, you know what? I didn't even get it. Didn't even get it. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't get the Michael Scott soundbite. Yeah. All that to say, try to put a bow on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Despite losing him, they still were very good. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I think um, it bodes well. But I think it's it's just interesting because you're like, man, you feel like he was a guy that maybe you should have given more consideration a higher. 
as a coach. I mean, we know that a head coach, because we know that Tepper wanted an offensive-minded guy, but just everything you hear about this guy, he sounds like the next big thing uh, as far as coaches are concerned and the, the esteem that he is held in. So. Yeah, I think David Tepper wanted also experience at that. Yeah. And, and that's where you don't have, look, we could also divide this into minority candidate, non-minority candidate, but that's where Steve Wilkes came in and the and the, and the actual experience level, it was harder to make that excuse. Yes, Frank Reich has more. Because what if he For comes sure. in and the defense is top three and the offense is like average? Well, then he might be gone. <laughs> I'm just saying like as far as you thinking about the fact that you had this guy in your building and interviewed him as a head coach. Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. Like how would that feel? No, it'll be in. You're right. No. Yeah. Th- so it was funny because there were, there would be so many people that would, that would ask the question, can you have Frank Reich as the head coach and Steve Wilkes as the defensive coordinator? And a lot of the response to that, whether it be beat writers or personalities, the response would be, it would be weird. And it certainly would be a lot more weird with Steve Wilkes. But now you're kind of doing that on a lighter level with Averro having interviewed for the head coaching job Mm -hmm. and now becoming that defensive coordinator. Now, again, you're getting a lot of money. Joe Person, I believe, just put out a tweet about Steve Wilkes to where he was not going to take another job unless it was the right fit. Mm-hmm. Being the number one defense this past year oh, is yeah, going to be work. the right fit. Yeah, that'll be just fine for Steve Wilkes, and that's why he takes that job. But it's not like he was out here trying to go anywhere else, and you just happen to have the right fit there. With Averro, this could be the right fit for him. If Sean Payton was going to have his own guy, you know, okay, I'm going to have my fingerprints all over the game plan, all mm-hmm. over the staff. Hey, Averro, great job, but I got a guy, peace. And so now that that happened, the Broncos allowed him to be out of that contract that he agreed to, and then here he is coming to Carolina. But you're right, like that dynamic could be a little weird if the defense was overwhelmingly better than the offense. It could be weird. All right, so tonight, let's turn the page, college basketball, because we've got some good ACC basketball tonight when you talk about North Carolina and Wake Forest, traditional ACC rivalry, but also in the standings, they're right beside each other. This is a pivotal game, Carolina coming off of losing two in a row, the Demon Deeks coming off of a win Saturday at Notre Dame after getting off the schneid, so to speak, after having a losing streak of their own. You got that one, then you got NC State and Virginia, that's a Big matchup right there. But let's stop first. Carolina Wake Forest, what do you think about tonight? What are you looking for? Is this game critical? Or I know it's critical to each side, but uh, talking about Steve Forbes and the Wake fan base, do you feel like this is critical to the perception of him? Like, let's talk about this game a little bit. Yeah, it is. This is a critical game for both of these programs. I I think I'm going to say that there's more pressure on North Carolina with this one. And the reason I say that, it's because – you do lose to Duke. It's still a rival, despite us having the conversation about the rivalry potentially being dead. But with North Carolina, you could be talking about them losing to Pitt, losing to Duke, and then you lose on the road to Wake Forest, so you would be amidst a three-game losing streak. Then you would be taking on Clemson, even if it's at home. And I know it don't go down like that where Clemson wins at the Deem Dome, and I get that. But when you have Clemson, they are atop of the conference. Then you have Miami that just beat down the Duke Blue Devils last night. Then you're on the road against NC State, which is going to be a pretty tough matchup. I know they're going to try to avenge that loss. That is a really talented team. Get a break against Notre Dame. But then you have Virginia, which has always had North Carolina's number. Point being, Wes, the schedule's tough. 
for them. And I know Wake Forest, they're kind of going through it right now. We've had our conversations about them. They at least stopped the bleeding, getting a win against Notre Dame. I do think they need big-time victories to enhance their tournament odds for sure. And they don't have the easiest schedule in the world. I just think where North Carolina is now, certainly compared to expectations at the beginning of the season, that's why I give it to North Carolina. But honestly, I could hear any answer between North Carolina and Wake. Yeah, the key for North Carolina tonight is they're going to have to shoot the ball better from three. They're shooting 25% from three-point range in their five ACC losses. So that is going to be key from them. We know how streaky Caleb Love is. And RJ Davis is a guy that every, you know, he'll pop up with a huge game, but then he'll go back and come back down to earth and have a very uh, pedestrian game as well. So you want to see that. But they've held eight consecutive opponents under 70 points, but it's only resulted in a 5-3 and three record in that stretch. We know Wake is one of the higher scoring teams in the league, so the defense is definitely going to have to be uh, turned up tonight. We know the difference in the last game was turnovers. That was the name of the game for Wake as they struggled with that. Damari Monsanto has been uh, having a a pretty good go of it the last few games. Uh, had that game sandwiched in between to um, Duke where he didn't play quite as well. But in his last three games, he's averaging 21 points a game. He's got 14 made three-point field goals, and he's shooting 44% from three. And Appleby has been on one as well. Not quite as efficient as you'd want in some contests, but his last three games, he's at 20 points a game and six assists. So those are going to be the two keys uh, for the Demon Deeks tonight. But this is going to be a pivotal game. These teams sitting at 7th and 8th in the ACC. And we talked about 8 probably being that cutoff. There's no guarantee the ACC will get 8 in there. So this is going to be a huge game uh, for the longevity of each of these teams' seasons. Now, when you're talking about NC State and Virginia, two teams sitting there tied at 3rd uh, in the conference. Or, yeah, when you look at these teams right now. No, 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 I'm sorry. State sitting there at 5th. With a 9-4 and four conference record, Virginia's 9-3. and three. This is going to be a tremendous contest as well. The last ranked matchup in which NC State was able to come out victorious was on the road when they beat Virginia the last time. So that's going to be an interesting game as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on that game? Um, yeah, I think NC State... You're talking about a great defensive backcourt, great defensive team anyway from Virginia, as they always are. But NC State has awesome guards, right? They have Traquavion Smith. They have Jarkel Joyner. And what you're seeing right now from Burns is incredible. And I love what you're getting out of his production here late. Wolfpack, they're hot, man. I mean, you're talking about four straight wins. Their last loss came against North Carolina, 80-69. to But even before that, they had gone on a four-game winning streak before, um, or excuse me, after they lost to Clemson. So I, I think NC State wins. And as we talk about with Virginia, even if it is on the road, as we discuss Virginia being the best team in the conference, mm -hmm. I would still call them that. I just think this talent right now is I, give me the trio of the Wolfpack, especially with some of the pressure that NC State kind of has. Because if, if you're talking about Kevin Keats and the polarizing reputation that he has with Wolfpack fans right now, a win on the road against Virginia, I think that would go a long way. Yes, it all does come down to postseason success and or lack thereof on how you think of Kevin Keats. But can you imagine how long away five game win streak 
you get the road uh, win against Virginia, and then it's Boston College, Syracuse, North Carolina. Even with those games on the road, you provide a little bit of a cushion on this road trip before you're back at home against North Carolina, Wake, and Clemson. Give me State. I think it's going to be an awesome contest. Yeah, and excuse me when I say NC State's last road win over a ranked team was last year over Virginia. But listen, Virginia's limited 37 consecutive ACC opponents to fewer than 70 points at John Paul Jones. This is the number one offense in the ACC going up against the number one defense. UVA is taking care of the basketball. They rank first nationally in assist-to-turnover ratio, also 19th in three-point percentage, 17th in assists per game, so they are sharing the basketball, 10th in scoring defense. You know you're going to get the defense uh, when you're talking about the Cavaliers, but listen, NC State's 19-5 and record. That's the best record through 24 games since 2005 2006 and the last time they you know they've won eight out of their last nine ACC games and the last time they had that much success in a nine game conference stretch was in 73-74 they went 12-0 and on its way to a 30-1 and record at a national championship now we know that's going to happen that's kind of off the table at this point mm-hmm. but their, uh, their big trio as you said big DJ Burns averaging 23 points on 50 56% shooting Seven rebounds a game over the last three games. Jarkel joined a ninth in the ACC in scoring. We know my man Turk, as I start to call him now, Turquavion Smith. I call him Big Turk. You remember Turk from the Hot Boys? I do not. Not as much. The Hot oh, Boys. Walker, we're going to have to have a little hip-hop class for you, man. That's fine. That's you know, a little bit. I mean, boys. so my, my hot. You're just a sheltered, uncultured swan. <laughs> my Hot Boys knowledge, it pretty much, well, Juvenile and Lil Wayne. Right, right. So, right. so. It's it's not like I grew up listening to them. I know a little but bit about the, But the there's some stuff that you do know, but from back before that era, so that's oh, why yeah. I'd, I'd... No, yeah. no, it's a good yeah, question. Yeah, it's yeah. just, yeah, I apologize right. to the people. Well, anyway, Turk is the ACC's leading scorer, and he also finds time uh, to dish the ball to his teammates, too. Fifth in the ACC in assists per game. So this is going to be a good one. I'm going to go Virginia at home because I think they are smarting over that loss to their rival, Virginia Tech. So I think they get their house in order tonight. As far as the Deeks and the Tar Heels tonight, I'm going to go with Wake Forest. Uh, I think Wake has been knocking at the door. They've been taking care of the basketball as of late uh, and something they didn't do in the first game, even though they haven't come out on the winning side of things in all of these matchups. But I think Wake has just been knocking at the door, taking some bad breaks late. But I think they get it done tonight. That crowd is going to be energized. Uh, It's going to be lit in there. So that should be uh, a lot of fun as well. Crazy Eddie texted in. He said, Mr. Walker, you're going to have to say you picked UVA tomorrow. And I'm sure that's what we are here <laughs> to. Uh, that's what we're going to hear tomorrow. That's right. So if if look, if Virginia wins, then I'm just going to come in tomorrow and say that I always had the Cavaliers. And I'm sure Fiddy will try to call me out. So I need to get to the tape before he can actually play it. Tomorrow. You definitely do. And so <laughs> we'll get to Fiddy right now with the last Fiddy Fly. An update in the saga regarding the future of Aaron Rodgers. Leaves on the Pat McAfee shows he is every Tuesday. And he's about to go on his, uh, what he's calling his darkness retreat. (laughs) Where he's going to be in pitch black all day and night for four days. And when he he comes out of this retreat, he will have a clearer sense of what he's going to do. If he's going to play quarterback. Or not in 2023. 
Whenever he comes back from doing whatever the hell it is he's doing in some backwoods cabin in the middle of nowhere. Ayahuasca. <coughs> do you think he'll come back and decide he wants to play quarterback for the Packers? And if so, should the Packers commit to him as their QB that, in 23? That interview that he had on the golf uh, on the uh, at the golf tournament that he was at, it seemed like he wanted to come back and play. And then Devontae Adams, he told you at the Pro Bowl Challenge that he was absolutely recruiting Aaron Rodgers to come in and play for the Raiders. And he said his best recruitment recruiting pitch was that I'm here so I do think Aaron Rodgers is going to play another year I don't think he'll retire at the end of this darkness retreat which sounds like the next Batman movie yeah I think he's going to come back as well I do not think he's going to be in Green Bay I think we're finally going to see that breakup we've seen that the Packers look like they're ready to move on I'm sure Matt LaFleur is tired of his pompous ass yelling at him and telling him stuff to do and things of that nature don't even get me started but yeah I think he'll be back next season but with uh, another the team and when we come back it's black history sports hero of the daytime on the Wesson Walker show sports radio 92.7 WFNZ here we go folks we're back you're back hopefully the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, Garage Door Guru, text line 704-570-9610. Follow us on Twitter, Weston Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R. And without further ado, our Black History Sports Hero of the Day, I'm going to Wake Forest, the set as we like to call it, for to tell you about a man named Freddie Summers, quarterback, of the Demon Deacons football team way back in, in, uh, on September 23rd of 1967. Wake Forest head coach Bill Tate named Summers his starting quarterback when they went down to Clemson. He became the first black quarterback at a major college in the South and the first black quarterback in the ACC. He helped pave the way for the integration of college football in the South. He was named first-team All-ACC quarterback as a junior in 1967 while leading the league in total offense. He was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the fourth round of the 1969 NFL Draft where he was converted to a defensive back. And he also had another piece of football history that you may not know. What is it, you might ask, Wesley? Well, let me tell you. On September 21st, 1970, during the debut of NFL's Monday Night Football, Mr. Summers was credited with the very first tackle in the history of Monday Night Football as a member of the wow. Cleveland Browns' kickoff coverage team. He passed away sadly in 1994 at the age of 47. He was inducted into the Wake Forest Sports Hall of Fame in 20. 20- 20. So there you go, Mr. Freddie Summers. We take our hat off to you for integrating college football the way that you did and also having the very first doggone tackle on Monday Night Football. There's a a Jeopardy answer for you. I mean, yeah, that's insane. And then also having him pave the way for integration of college football in the South. Very cool. By the way, you've picked two figures in a row now that I believe were represented in the Hall of Fame in 2020. They were a part of the class of NC State. And now here, Freddie Summers' case in Wake Forest. Very cool there. 2020 Hall of Fame class inductees a couple of days in a row. Let's go to What's on Tap. What's on Tap this time features Wake Forest again. They're going to be hosting North Carolina. It's a critical matchup. 
for both of these programs. We just gave you some analysis. I don't know if we gave a prediction as far as North Carolina and Wake Forest goes, Wes. So what do you think happens? Do you think Wake Forest gets the win at home, or do you think North Carolina bounces back and they avoid the three-game losing streak? Uh, I think the Deacons bounce back. I think they've been knocking at the door and the losses that they took before getting the win versus Notre Dame. They just caught some bad breaks like Hardaway ankles were to young Chris from the Young Guns. So I feel like tonight their fortunes start to change just a little bit at home in front of an energized crowd. They get the dub. What do you think, Fiddy? Do you think North Carolina can uh, stop the bleeding and avoid a three-game losing streak? I do not. I think Wake Forest actually wins the game tonight. They've won the last two times the two teams have met in the Joel. If they lose tonight in Wake Forest, it'll be the first three-game losing streak in Wake Forest since 1962 through 1965. The most important part about that loss was in 65 when they came back. That's when Billy Cunningham had to rip down the effigy that they had hung to to say they wanted Coach Smith at the time fired. Um, but so I, I I do think Wake Forest wins tonight as Carolina's underwhelming season continues. So I'm going to go with North Carolina. That is in, unless they lose, and then I'll change my answer tomorrow as I've done at least a couple times now. He's coming back around. So I am going to go with North Carolina. I think they end up winning. I think Armando Baycott, you just can't avoid him as much as you did, right? Like you had 12 field goal attempts the last time that he played Wake. Um, or maybe it was 11. I'm trying to pick up that game log, but it was similar to what they just had against Duke. I think they feed him early and often. He actually had 10 free throw attempts in this last game that they played against Wake Forest, and we clearly know he did it against Duke. He only had two. There's been a couple of double-digit free throw attempt games for Armando Baycott within the last like month or so. I think they feed Armando. I think they realize this is how we are supposed to win basketball games, running our offense through him. So I'm hoping that Hubert Davis and company end up doing that again. I do want to talk about the ramifications a little bit more, though, because... Fiddy, you said North Carolina would continue their underwhelming season. Just how bad are they if they lose to Wake Forest? What 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 kind of conversations are we having at this point if they lose to the Demon Deacons tonight? I think it just gonna change the conversation that we have right now. It's the most overrated team in UNC basketball history. With everything that was expected in the preseason, like preseason yeah. number one, yeah. they were the heavy favorite to win the ACC. And they're sixth right now in the conference. They lose tonight, like they're already on the bubble. A loss time. They, they got to do a lot of work over the last month, and that shouldn't be happening. And it's a tough schedule. This is exactly why I came into the season after that four-game losing streak they had at the beginning, and there was a promo of me running of, of me running saying that I was panicking about this squad because of the expectations that were put on this team. Of course I thought they were going to be better. This is a team that had the experience of making a March Madness run fighting through adversity, allowing Baylor to come back from 20 points down, and then still finding a way to hang on. They gutted it out in the championship game when they had a whole bunch of dudes go out with injury. Puff Johnson's thrown up on the floor. It's like, okay, Caleb Love will be more efficient. They'll run their offense still a lot through Armando. RJ Davis is somebody that has the most even pulse on the squad. We're all going to be fine, and eventually you have some bench pieces improving. And as soon as the season started, Caleb Love was playing the same way. There wasn't any improvement. That, and that's what scared me. Over a course of an offseason, 
you didn't have the efficiency go up at all. It's like, okay, wait. So what what has changed with this squad, especially with the loss of Brady Manic that was so big for them last year? I didn't expect Pete Nance to be this hot and cold and even come out with some awful shooting performances. I, I, I thought he would eventually come around, and we've still seen some bad stuff from him. Yeah, man, this would be as overrated and as underwhelming a team as we've seen from North Carolina. Yeah, and from an intangible standpoint, the fact that this team came in and all you heard from them uh, at media day was the fact of how they were one rebound away and how much it was going to motivate them, how much it was going to fuel them, and then they come out and they don't play with that sense of urgency. They don't play with that chip on their shoulder. They just don't play with a nasty disposition that, that they want to get back what is theirs and I think that's been the most disappointing thing because that's why I thought that this team was going to run roughshod over pretty much everybody this year because they were going to play angry and vengeful and you haven't seen any of that. Well and Fiddy you can correct me if I'm wrong but I I know a lot of people talked about the loss of Brady Manic, and there's no doubt it's huge now I think we did discuss it a little bit at the beginning I didn't think there would be this big of a gap between Manic and Nance but at the same time you have to balance the scale out with improvement in other areas right like even if you lose Brady Manic, you have to figure out that Caleb Love is going to be a more efficient scorer you have to figure he's going to improve you have to figure that you're going to get a better bench prowess and it just never came about even with the loss of Manic, I thought there would be enough to combat that and that just hasn't been true this season well and also i had basketball people tell me in the preseason that pete nance was the best player on this roster Mm. was the best individual basketball player on the roster he's averaging 10 and a half points right about six rebounds while shooting less than 50 percent from the field and 34 percent from three it was unfair to expect him to re reproduce what brady manick did for you last year but we thought he'd be a lot better than this to where yeah. at the point now, he shouldn't start. Man, you see flashes though, right? Like you see defensively, he does a great job. And then there are times where a guy just drives right by him because he opens his hips too much. And then you see shots that are Or consist- Jeremy Roach where he just want to wipe his shoes so he doesn't get beaten off the dribble. And then gets beaten right off the dribble. There's been bad moments. There's Woo! absolutely been bad moments. And then you have like the Ohio State shot where he hits it with point what four five tenths of a second left it's crazy let's switch it over real quickly before we hand it off to kyle bailey reputation for wake because here we are talking about north carolina Mm -hmm. certainly higher expectations but also not great for wake if they lose tonight four game losing streak they started off hot we were feeling great about them and now they're certainly not especially if they lose yeah this is year three for forbes wake fans are hungry for postseason success they want acc tournament wins they want ncaa tournament bursts and so right now, if he loses this game tonight, that's going to severely dampen their chances to do those things. And I think this fan base now is starting to look and say, hey, man, what's going on? This is the third season. You need to start getting some dubs up and have us in a great position to succeed. High pressure stakes in the ACC tonight. We will yes. talk all about it from 12 to 3 tomorrow. But in the meantime, we'll hand off the baton to the Kyle Bailey Show. He will be alongside Smoke Ludwig at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.